please remain risen and receive these words from the gospel according to Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus, by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that, I may, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, for if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, thank you for calling us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for encouraging us for the long journey and helping us grow in love and grow toward becoming more and more your people. I pray that in these next moments, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, O God, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Hell is truth seen too late. William Sloan Coffin, the late pastor and teacher, said that, hell is truth seen too late. And while it's not the most complete explanation that we might offer, it certainly seems applicable for today's gospel text. Over the last several weeks, we've been playing with the image of congregational life as a living mosaic 
made up of all of the unique and beautiful pieces that are each one of us. And we've been thinking together about life together in all of its beauty and gift and all of its challenge and messiness. And the lectionary gospel texts have been challenging throughout. For anyone paying attention, I hope you started praying for your preacher as you saw these texts coming on down the road. It has been a rough stretch. Because in the last few weeks of our gospel text, Jesus has been hammering away at our idolatries, uh, practically begging us to check our priorities, our loves, our loyalties, so that we might turn to God and not miss out on the gifts of the kingdom that are always around us. And today we receive yet another story about the choice between loving God and neighbor or loving wealth and privilege. Last week we heard the teaching loud and clear when Jesus said, you cannot love God and wealth. And evidently there are still those when Jesus was doing his teaching, and I imagine there are still those today who haven't quite gotten the message. So we get the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, I want to begin by suggesting what Jesus is not teaching in this story. Jesus is not teaching that the rich and the poor are predestined to heaven or hell on account of what is or isn't in their bank account. The point is not to describe what the streets look like in heaven or the furniture looks like in hell. Jesus is not teaching us that it is okay to look at people with lots of wealth and judge them as hell-bound because they have so much, or to say, we'll just let the poor be poor in this life because don't you see in the Bible, it says they're going to get their consolation in the next life. Got to love a good proof text, especially when it gets us off the hook. Jesus does not use a fable here to teach a tidy moral at the end about how to judge each other or how to justify ourselves. Rather, this is Jesus continuing his thread on the dangers of serving the earthly stuff idol and calling us back to serve God and the way of love and compassion and justice. Jesus does that by telling the story of a wealthy man who wore the finest, most fashionable threads to every gathering. He had the best food in abundance and more than he needed by far. And he was safely tucked behind his wall and his gate. At his gate was Lazarus, poor, 
hungry, neglected, wounded. The wealthy man wasn't oblivious to Lazarus, Lazarus or to his suffering, nor was he ignorant of the faith tradition and its teachings. Note, when the wealthy man dies and finds himself in torment, he recognizes and calls out to Father Abraham by name. And then right after that, calls out to Lazarus by name. Father Abraham, send Lazarus to be my errand boy. He wanted him to go and warn his brothers so that they'd be saved. You see, he knew Father Abraham, he knew Lazarus, he knew both of them by name. And even in death, this man has some nerve. Notice that in the story, the rich man asks for mercy, but not forgiveness. He asks for relief, but not for the life that he could receive. Even in the suffering of hell, the rich man acts with what seems to be unconscious entitlement and privilege. Now, it's not the riches in and of themselves that were the problem for this man in the story. Abraham is rich, and he's right there with Lazarus. Rather, the problem is that the the man's failure to put his faith in God instead of his own Wealth. It's clear that he knew the tradition, and yet the constant and consistent prophetic call to care for the poor, to do justice, to feed the hungry, and welcome the stranger, the sojourner, the suffering, all of that went unheeded. In life, the man lived a life of privilege, and while we have no sign that he did anything intentionally bad, other than perhaps sinful hoarding, it's also clear that he certainly didn't do anything intentionally good. The violence done here is the violence of apathy and neglect, of self-entitlement, the failure to use the gifts and abundance that he had to care for the needy, even by sharing the scraps from his table. Lazarus was right at the rich man's gate, right there. He must have passed him every single day. He knew him by name. He knew what his suffering was, and he did nothing to help. Nothing. Today, I'm asking us to think about why careful attention and curation and care of the living mosaic that is foundry matters. The teachings we've received these past weeks about what it means to really follow Jesus, about the cost of discipleship, about the need to grapple with others' needs and not just our own, and the difficulty of resisting the overwhelming siren call toward the altar of wealth. All of this is difficult. It's really, really hard. So why do we do it? Why do we try? Why does church or sharing a life of faith and service together matter? 
because there are siblings at our gate. Lazarus is at our gate. Buses filled with migrants are at our gate. Unhoused neighbors are at our gate. Friends who think they've done something too terrible to ever be forgiven are at our gate. Lonely people are at our gate. Lost people are at our gate. Hungry people are at our gate. BIPOC siblings who continue to navigate persistent and life-stealing Jim Crow-flavored oppressions are at our gate. LGBTQIA siblings who struggle to believe they can be who they are and be Christian are at our gate. And Lord knows there are plenty of gate keepers. There are plenty of self-serving politicians and pastors, plenty of those who do nothing to help anyone but themselves, who don't even try. All of these people are at our gate, and it's too much for any one of us. Too much for any one of us. It's too much for any one of us. We can do what we can do, but it's too much to do alone. What is needed are those who heed the word of the prophets. Did you hear what Jesus used in that story out of Abraham's mouth? Your brothers have the, the word of Moses and the prophets. What is needed is those who heed the word of the prophets, who try to follow Jesus' way, who will not only serve to get a headline who don't parade faith for a photo op, but who do the arduous work for the long haul that brings about real change. We are called as Foundry Church and have been gifted to serve and be part of this community of faith that tries to do the hard and risky work of love and solidarity and compassion over the long haul. It took us all in probably around 20 years of advocacy in DC. But Foundry leadership was absolutely key, leadership that is still active in this congregation today, key in getting a budget passed in the DC City Council last year that allocated more than $100 million to move at least 2,500 unhoused neighbors into housing. That doesn't just happen. And it's just not one person's work. And on this 27th anniversary of being a reconciling congregation, celebrating and welcoming into the full life of Foundry our LGBTQIA siblings, we continue to be actively and deeply engaged in advocacy for equity and justice within the denomination and beyond. 
And I know that there are some who think we should just let the Method, United Methodist Church go do what the United Methodist Church is going to do because Foundry's just going to do what Foundry's going to do and be who Foundry is. So, <laughs> But many of us come from beloved United Methodist churches that are hurting right now, that are being torn apart right now, that may leave And it'll be okay because God is good, but it's going to be painful. And it's not just about the leaving. It's not just about the institution. Because as the forces of hatred and prejudice and division do their worst, spreading falsehoods and stirring unnecessary fear, the result will be not only churches that we love separating from the United Methodist Church, but LGBTQIA children stranded in places where they will not be able to find in any congregation, at least not a United Methodist one, a word from the Lord. For them. Foundry has for years been a beacon of hope and courage in this struggle, and until we come to some resolution and determine all the ways that we need to be part of a just future for whatever the United Methodist Church looks like moving forward, a future that provides refuge and life for all our LGBTQIA siblings alongside people of every race, age, ability, and station, until that has been accomplished, we will keep going. Why? Why do we do the hard things? Why do we work so hard? Why do we keep going? Why do we work to grow the living mosaic that is the vision and community called Foundry? Why does it matter? Because God's beloved ones are at our gate. Because somewhere along the way, we have been blessed to receive the word of the prophets, the call to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly With God, somewhere along the way, we receive just enough grace to hope in the resurrection promise of new life. Somewhere along the way, we realize that God was actually really calling us by name and calling us to call others by name so that they might be welcomed into life together fully and to share all the blessings and grace of God. That God has called each of us to do all the good we can, if you know the words, you can join me, by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as ever we can. Beloveds, let's meet people at the gate and hold them in our heart and share the good news of new life always available through the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God, amen.